Long Gone is here. What's up? I'm Jason. That's Chris Black. We just got out of uh, the sauna about four minutes ago, oh, Chris. Wow. You like that? I don't I don't love that, actually. Um, but are, does that mean you're doing this podcast in a towel, or did you have time to kind of... No, no time. This okay. is towel. Okay. Well, that, that tracks for you, I guess. I mean, it's not... It's an audio-based podcast. No? It, is, it is an audio-based podcast. We haven't hit peak summer where where the podcast is done shirtless uh, in bed, but I guess that, that you know, we're jumping the gun, and that's fine with me, TJ. I've never done a podcast in bed. Well, no, that's not true. Only when I'm on holiday day but yeah at home yeah in the summertime it's 103 degrees outside the shirt's coming off when i'm podcasting oh, who, gives a, who gives a what who gi- <laughs> i don't give a what like do i sound do i sound different <laughs> naked do i can you tell if i'm naked just based on my voice i mean i would hate maybe maybe ai technology could but you certainly can no 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 you're right i would hate for the nest to malfunction you know what i mean and really get a schwitz going um that's as, that's as close as i'm going to get to an in-home sauna for the foreseeable future oh no chris that's tough it's okay you gotta step your money up i know it's, anyway what's up with you it smells like broken here and i i opened the door and it's not going away so i don't know what i'm gonna do <laughs> no uh what's up with me you know, Jason, not much. Just trying to get back into my LA routine. Uh, you know, we had a great activation last night at, at, uh, LA Hotspot Horses with friend of the show, uh, Raven Smith, who was visiting us from jolly old England. I gotta say, Horses is back. Horses is back. It was fucking banging and it was popping. It's back in my good graces. We saw Lauren Sherman and Verena from Gossip. It was a, the room was, the room was electric and, um, mm-hmm. You know, I, the music was the right volume. Charlotte was back at the front, making sure things actually operated properly. Uh, I did mm. avoid the bread, so it was a successful night for me. Mm. You sure you want to go down that road, Chris? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Didn't think so. I don't. Luckily, I'm a kind, empathetic podcaster. Soul, yeah, that's aren't, that, aren't that, I? that's how. Because there's things that I can bring up if I want to about you. <laughs> I like to. I like to take the high road. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of gossamer. Yeah, you're a high road kind of guy. Uh, but yeah, it was it was nice to have Raven across the pond. I I've uh, I've only visited him in his home country. What what a great dinner party guest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's about top of the pops. If you're going to have a dinner party full of intellectuals who are having a ciggies <laughs> and just glasses of wine and mm. i was drinking vespers which is a, a drink i've never had that's a james bond drink mm. and uh, that one is vodka and gin together pretty pretty darn good but i mean when you when you have raven there he's just like you know he's all the fun parts of a talking person but just like so much smarter well dressed mm-hmm. good style and mm-hmm. just cool you know you don't meet a lot of people like that who have like the ability to like conversate and speak well and write well and all those things mm-hmm. and also like look really cool dress really well have really good taste and style it's true and and he i, I mean other than you chris i don't i can't think no one's coming to mind well i didn't want to say anything but i appreciate you kind of recognizing me for some of my lesser talents you really are dressing but we need to get that substat going chris oh well you know when you podcast three times a week it's tough to have the brain because you have to make money and unfortunately writing doesn't really do that so it's mm-hmm. it's, t- it's tough but i i did him telling, talking about Victoria Beckham uh, and her being on the River Cafe podcast and talking about how she loves River Cafe because they let her <laughs> salt her own broccoli. 
<laughs> because <laughs> because she orders the same she eats the same piece of steamed fish and steamed vegetables i believe for every meal is what she said yeah pretty much and, she, and raven said that her treat is a piece of toast with salt on it <laughs> <laughs> which really which really after 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 the girl puppy episode where she was calling everything a treat i'm like mm-hmm. nothing is more of a treat than a piece <laughs> of wheat toast with a little maldon on it when you're at river cafe yeah just just salted bread is a, is a is a fucked up treat and also the most fucked up part about that entire story is the river cafe has a podcast for some reason i don't know well apparently it's good and they're like yeah we have um i don't know victoria beckham on i've done a food podcast a bunch of times it's, it's just fucking fat guys talking about pastrami's you didn't get jake gyllenhaal you only got the the guy from new york that gets all the press for having the soggy pizza because he's got tattoos that's all you could you couldn't <laughs> even get jake gyllenhaal who who's the who's the soggy pizza tattoo guy you're talking about i don't know who you're talking about i'm joking the guy that was on billions the guy that we talked about in the group chat una oh somehow right, he right, like right. is yeah. making a comeback every year i don't understand i don't know how you can make a comeback like he's got this beautiful restaurant on the lower east side that's been there for a while but there's a comeback story all the time i don't really get it he's got good pr man he's got good pr someone someone owes someone a favor um, and the pizza's pretty good i mean i'm just being a hater that's odd chris you know i was speaking of chris being a hater i was looking at your twitter and you're you had a tweet about <laughs> About the worst kind of reply, guys. You remember this treat? Treat? Is it a tweet or a treat? We'll find out. Well, it's both. And I mean, I yeah. There's there's a certain kind of reply guy. We all have them, ladies. Well, yesterday, yesterday, this happened to me. All up in my DMs. A a picture of my a picture of my shelving unit, and the guy's like, "Is that a is that an Alex Soth print in the top left?" (laughs) And I'm just like, "Bro, get a fucking life! Like, why?" (laughs) And people do it all. That's people do that all the time. They try to point out something in like the background Mm -hmm. or a small minor detail that they and I don't know. Is that is they do they think they're clever so they're engaging with you or do they? Th- I don't understand what the, the the intended goal is. I don't. I don't think there is any goal at all. I think it's more of just like our reptile brain of the, like we're you know we're in the anxiety doom scroll cycle and you're looking at Chris Black's Instagram stories and there's a bookshelf with fifty books on it and you recognize one of them that's very rare. And then you just, you know, you, without even thinking, you just go, that's that book. It's it's literally the worst. It's the worst. It's it's the dumbest <laughs> kind of response. No, no. It gets worse. It, no, I, it gets much worse because you're talking about somebody pointing out something, you know, that's sort of maybe a little bit more rare or under the radar. And then, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps they're trying to show you that they also know this rare thing. And then you'll be like... Oh, I had no idea this amazing follower yeah. was I had <laughs> yeah, some yeah, I had no yeah. idea I was sitting on gold. Bro, let me let me be clear though. Nothing I got is that rare. Like there's nothing I'm not blowing. I don't have unearthed tomes on my bookshelf. Oh, it's a it's an icebreaker. Somebody wants to talk to the god, aka Chris Black. They're nervous. <laughs> They're shaky mom spaghetti. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I got I'm going to try to throw a few openers and see what sticks and clearly you're letting your um your followers know that mm, back to the drawing board that don't impress you much well i logged into my favorite social network after facebook linkedin yesterday and um those messages are even better (laughs) i just i just want to pick your brain for 10 minutes like bro i don't you're a stranger (laughs) like you're a fucking stranger why on earth would i let you pick my brain for like it's just it's the the way people you have to say what do i get out of the deal 
That's what, yeah, but that's I don't what want I do whatever you can offer me. If it's not a large sum of money, I don't want it. I don't need a coffee. I can afford to buy my own. Well, you have to look. I mean, I'm saying you have to look at it in the, you know, like obviously they can't afford, but, you know, in the off chance that they can and they want to call your bluff. Yeah. Then I guess then it'll be kind of weird, you know, be like, hey, it's random stranger. You want to pick my brain for 10 minutes? I'm going to invoice you $8,000 like that. You might feel a little weird. Can doing you bang, that, but the, bang the cash app for 7,500 and I'll hop on with you. No problem. What's worse than what you were suffering is when, you know, like we took a photo or uh, you took a photo of Raven and I in front of horses. Yeah. A restaurant that is uh, a restaurant. That's a building that has a sign on it. in front, <laughs> And the sign says horses. Yeah. 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 It's, it's clearly marked legally. You have to do that. I think. Right. 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 So it's like if you, you know, it's like if I'm at in and out and I take a picture of my double, double protein style, animal style, and then, you know, I'll have 11 people who live in Downey or Reseda and they'll be like in and out. <laughs> And then you're like, yeah, bro. Yep. That's what it is. And that same, I mean, and like you took a photo of, of Raven and I in front of horses last night and I reposted it and I had, you know, two or three different people just be like horses. And you're like, yeah, I know I'm here. This photo was taken in front of the restaurant. I walked under the sign to get into the restaurant. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very clear. <laughs> but this goes back to our, um, our plead that we, that we constantly do. Just, just think before, just think before you, you reach out, not to us, to everyone. Yeah, it's true. Is this something that is going to progress is this going to bring a smile to someone's face usually we're talking about other things than this but yeah yeah yeah. i mean there, there should be a checklist it's like when when an idea you have to think is this an article a podcast or a book you know it can't be it's rarely all three yeah I, and i think it's it's something that we actually have to work on and be conscious of and it's not something that comes easy. So don't feel bad or don't get well, down on yourself well, if you have a misstep. We've all done it. We've all we've all done it. I mean, it's all we've all failed. We've we've all done it. Like like for instance, there was like right before we hit record, there was a some sort of like electrical or like chemical spill mm-hmm. in Atwater Village, a neighborhood near my house, mm-hmm. and it was on the news. Like hey, like there was a chemical spill. In an industrial area down by the train tracks, which is where, which is where, kind of near where you live, you know, the, down by the tracks. But yeah, continue. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of in my area. Um, <laughs> it's kind of in my area down by the tracks. In my er- area, I'd be getting stupid in your area. Chris, you know? what um, what color were the bars on your windows at your house again? I don't remember. Is it just standard black or is it a different one? Oh yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a classic wrought iron. Okay, good. Moving on, and and then you know. 11 people sent me a text message or a tweet or an Instagram of like, here's the news story that there's, you know, this is going on in your neighborhood. Yeah, bitch. I live here. It's, it's every, <laughs> I've said this before and I'll say it again. There is basically nothing anyone can send me on the internet that is breaking that I haven't seen before you have a chance to send it to <laughs> Even me. Even a common chemical spill. You, you you got eyes on it. No, not shit like that. Because no, I don't care about that. But anything that I care about, I know about it because I'm all, I'm logged the fuck on. It's not. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's healthy. I'm saying like you can save the energy because I know this goes to friends, this goes to acquaintances, this goes to people I don't know. That's just that's the only thing I have going for me is that I know what's going on. Yeah, but I think a lot of people they might get a little liquid courage, a couple glasses of uh, of natty orange are in their system, mm-hmm. and they're and they think that. If I, it's not like, it's kind of like stump the, tr- uh, stump the chump or whatever. Like if I can get one yeah, past you can, Chris, okay, if I can so, put Chris on, then they feel that yeah. as soon as they, they put Chris on to a new thing, 
you're instantly going to be like, all right, I'm, um, let me know your address because I'm going to show up with an engagement ring to propose to you because you've just changed my life forever because you showed me this vest. It's it's what I, you know, it, it's like you have three Gias and you think you're going to tell me that Tom and Katie from fucking Vanderpump are getting divorced? You think I didn't know that already? You think I didn't know that? Are you guys fucking crazy? All right, let's, let's, we have to move on. I'm getting too hot. We do have a guest today. Uh, friend of the show uh, and known listener Uh, thank you to Nomi Fry for putting us all in touch but uh, Brett Easton Ellis the uh, novelist screenwriter and uh, fellow fellow elite podcaster um, Less Than Zero kind of changed my life when I was in high school you you know Less Than Zero the rules of attraction American Psycho Glamorama Lunar Park and his most recent uh, book was actually nonfiction White, which came out in 2019. That's my my current sauna book. I was rereading it this week in preparation. And the the Brady Snell's podcast is 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 uh, a classic that I've been listening to for a long time. I, I've heard that it's an amazing podcast, but you know me. Well, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, Patreon and I don't get along too well. It's one of the only things I paid for on Patreon, and you know I'm proud of it to be honest. Yo, send me the files, King. Send me the files. We're gonna we're gonna tap in with the triple OG and you know talk about everything get his anna delvey impression you know the, all the important stuff <laughs> see who his top five below deck character story arcs are right now <laughs> yeah yeah you know we want to really get into the screenwriting stuff with brett so kind of understanding mm-hmm. the difference between uh reality-based programming and scripted programming because i'm mm-hmm. the lines are getting blurry jason and i need a hollywood insider to kind of tell me okay chris well let's uh let's give brett a zoom and let's see if we can save that cat you're going to uh, you're going to understand why I really never do anyone else's podcast. You're going to see how like dour I am, my dour demeanor, and you're just going to go, "Why? Why are we even recording this with him?" People run to dour characters. <laughs> Everyone in the world is dour now. You're a dour king. You 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 were leading the dour charge, and now the world has finally caught up with you. You should you should be happy. Uh, well, I didn't say I wasn't happy. No, I, I mean, everything's okay. I mean, it's, it's uh, just strange to be doing someone else's podcast, which I never do. And uh, somehow I am now about to do yours. That's why I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, I was a little hesitant to come up. We are in the same boat. We rarely do other podcasts at this stage. And it does feel, it does, I, I like doing it personally, but it does feel strange when you like have an idea of how this thing works and then it gets it gets a little uh, thrown on its head when someone else is leading the charge. It's it's like it's like driving. I love driving. I drive like a maniac, and I hate being in the passenger seat when somebody else is driving because I'm out of control. But if it's a really good driver who I trust, then then I can really concentrate and and chill out. And it's the same thing for doing a podcast. I love being a guest on a show because I don't have to do any any work. All right. It's like the host has to lead the charge and i just kind of sit there and look pretty and do whatever i want and then when it's done it's done and it shows up on itunes one day that being said brett i hope you prepared one of your famous monologues for this. Oh. did you not I, I don't know he seemed to have lost that document <laughs> actually no we're recording uh, our podcast today this afternoon and i'm just in the middle of writing or rewriting that monologue that i open most of the shows with so it's, it's on my computer right here we're doing rewrites right now we're doing rewrites <laughs> 
<laughs> Brett, why don't you give us a little taste and we can kind of... Uh, <laughs> we're, in re- we're in rewrites. We're we have in rewrites. a very can, gentle we- red pen. We have a very gentle red pen. Okay, well, if you, if you want us to punch it up live, we can. We don't do a lot of it, but for you, anything. It's you, okay. know, you know that. It's okay. Well, I do. I love that about your podcast. Though. I think it's a very rare... I don't think there's... I've never heard anyone else do that style. Well, how I got involved in it was um, this uh, outfit, uh, Podcast One, came to me in 2013. 20- 12 and uh for some reason my twitter feed was causing some controversies and i i got a lot of followers and so they were looking at how many followers i had what i was saying and the head of that company a guy named norm pattis i had a meeting with me and my agent in his office and said why do you do a podcast and i didn't know what a podcast was I, mark Marin actually for like from 2009 to 2011 was always hitting me up on my Twitter feed, asking me to do a podcast with him, to get on his podcast. And I didn't know what a podcast was. Oh. But I also started noticing that time that when I was writing these long-form articles, sometimes four or 5,000 long for magazines, that people weren't really reading them. they read the pull quote. They would <laughs> yeah. read the pull quote, and they read the first opening, and then they would get all of their ideas yeah, yeah. from it and attack me and about what I was saying when I said in paragraph 10, mm-hmm. I had totally dismantled whatever I was saying. <laughs> so I realized, so I saw the opportunity to do a podcast as a way of talking about a lot of things that I wanted to talk about and that people would listen. And people will listen to a 30- or 40-minute monologue, but reading one. It's just not part of the game. Mm-hmm. So I initially thought that the podcast would be, uh, I would use it for that and also have guests that I was interested in. Yeah. And so working at podcast one, where we basically did it almost every week, um, uh, I would start with a monologue, a written monologue about what I was thinking about, and then kind of hand it over, hand over the ideas of the monologue to the guest. And we would talk about it and then talk about the guest group. That, that's really how, that monologue thing started. It keeps an episode like on the rails in a loose way that feels good versus like someone reading off their notes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It like switches the vibe a little bit because it's it's already been stated. So like the listener kind of knows what's what's there because you've already read it. Yeah. I mean, look, it's just something that I like to do. I, I'm sure it's not for everybody. And it's certainly not the, the kind of podcast that a lot of people, I think a lot of people want to turn turn into something that they can just you know, listen to very breezily and hear two people like have a, a conversation about something that's not overly heavy. Though, again, I don't know. My, my, my boyfriend is listening right now. He's obsessed with all these podcasts, true crime podcasts that are, that are really heavy and depressing. So I, I don't know. I, I can't even second guess what anybody wants. Well, I mean, it's our, our, our attention spans are fucked. I can't read a 5,000 word article with, you know, without know. checking my Instagram or some shit, but I can listen to it Completely. while I'm doing the dishes and walking the dogs and I, I soak it all in, Completely. which I guess is kind of sad, but you know, what yeah. do you do? No. But yeah, you're a writer. You're going to write a monologue. That's what, that's what you're good at. I'm good at using editing software. So that's where I shine, you know? Well, yeah, <laughs> but I also wanted to, I mean, I also thought it was a great uh, place to start talking about what was going on in the entertainment business, be able to review movies and review, uh, I don't know, TV shows and books or whatever I was consuming at that time. I thought that was, I liked doing that. And I liked interacting with guests that I wanted to have on. Uh, that ultimately what happened on podcast one is that the advertisers were complaining. The advertisers didn't like how I was reading the ads. They thought I was too laid back. I was too cold. <laughs> you weren't having enough. You weren't talking about shaving your balls uh, enough with Manscaped? Uh, well, no. But uh, what was it? The Dollar Shave Club. Yeah, oh, you know, that's OG. That's, that's mm-hmm. the OG podcast advertiser. 
That was money. How long has it been <laughs> since you've done a proper kind of soul-crushing ad read? It's It's been years, right? Uh, yeah, I would say 2015. I did it for about two years on and off. Okay. But really, people were unhappy. Stamps.com like, had a fit that I was just – I sounded so <laughs> bored and that I couldn't – and then often, like, uh, the Nut Factory or whatever. <laughs> no, you're talking about Nuts.com. Nuts.com. But those are, those are kind of the early days of podcast advertising. Yeah. And I think people are it's, – it's advanced and evolved for the better so much because a lot of people will be like, hey, Brett, we love your dour style, mm-hmm. your, your cold and gloomy delivery. That's exactly what we want you to do. And you can actually do it versus like, hey, this guy, Brett's just reading this stamp stamp commercial wrong. He needs to be like, hey, guys, like, you're never going to do that. Yeah. So they the- prefer they prefer the personality if it's the right average. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it's turned into yeah. where it's like a lot of these guys go absolutely crazy and say that, you know, Magic Spoon is the favorite cereal of Putin, yeah. you know, or whatever. And they and like, <laughs> and Magic Spoon loves it. And it's fucking crazy. But makes like, it too wacky. You have to you have to trust the 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 host to know what the audience wants you know what i mean it's like if that if the stamps.com ad is the same tone as the show then that's how it should be it can't it can't fluctuate too much you just want people to listen to it bro did did you have fun doing the ad reads or was it painful no for you? no it became <laughs> kind of torturous it became torturous and i would rewrite the ad stuff and you know doing rewrites on the ad read i like that it would get to the point where we would get feedback on my recording of the ads and they would give notes no that's crazy and it was and it just said and i told norm who's the head of podcast one i said i'm not going to do the ads anymore and he said you know what i like your show enough you don't have to we'll just keep you on here yeah but then we wanted to make some money you know it was kind of a bit of a production i mean well the podcast is like produced we don't just you know flip on a switch whatever we edit like you guys i think edit. a true american podcast that's the way it should be done brother i completely agree and so anyway um we left and uh bummed around for a year got offers from a lot of places uh but nothing ever happened and so then we ended up at patreon i'm surprised somebody didn't come to you with a pretty a, a nice offer that made sense for you or i'm sure they still sniff around from time to time uh no really no they haven't yeah <laughs> no they haven't uh, we don't have uh, we had a pretty massive audience at podcast one yeah uh we were continually in like the top 10 arts and entertainment podcasts whenever it was dropped on apple uh for movies and entertainment and we had like a team working for us i mean you had like a yeah. pr people and whatever just like booking people and you know they force us to have people on that i not didn't necessarily want but we were kind of hot at the time let's name some names brett who are we <laughs> talking about man what do you what do you think brett well i guess there was i think it was the third or fourth season of portlandia and so they brought um what's his name fred not uh, fred, fred armison. armison not fred armison. Uh, well, I, I like that the season is uh, what season they were in was specific to this <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so Fred Armisen seems like he would be a decent. I mean, he, you know, he's a dorky guy, but it seems like a decent enough pot. I mean, it could be worse. He was an SNL cast member for a decade or so, right? Uh, well, I kind of understand why. I guess his ex-wife was it Elizabeth Moss called him the worst person that's ever existed in the world. <laughs> I kind of understand why after he was on my podcast. It was pretty harsh. I must say, it was the worst guest I've ever had. But I have to really? say. I have to say, oh, part of it was my fault, and part of it's tied into the monologue. 
Because I did, I would read the monologue mm. when the guest was there. I haven't done that in years because some of the monologues are 50 fucking minutes long. But <laughs> they were like 15 to 20 minutes then. And I don't think guests expected that. And so I did this long piece on, uh, I don't know, I was talking about uh, recent movies and how uh, mentioned something about the Oscars and Catherine Bigelow and whatever. That also got me into a lot of trouble. And I guess I just... Oh, I know. Bigelow years. No, no. The thing was that Carrie Brownstein was on with him. So they came as yeah, a couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I started talking about how great it was to have an actress on, how great it is to have Carrie on because we have not had a woman on the podcast yet. Uh-oh, Fred didn't like that. Well, Carrie <laughs> handled it well, but um, but Fred didn't like it. And the room just dropped like 40 degrees. Yeah. And he never recovered from it. He gave monosyllabic answers, wasn't funny, attacked me at one point because I didn't like the Hurt Locker. <laughs> And so it became this. Is this really the hill you want to die on, Brett? The Hurt Locker? Are you sure about this? It was just something I had mentioned in the middle of my monologue. Yeah. And he immediately, when I first went to him, went on that and just was a sputtering replica. I could, couldn't believe that I didn't like the Hurt Locker. I'm out of my mind. Can you do a little Armisen for us? Yeah. Brett, do a little Armisen for I us. Don't, I, I, I can't do it. Not an impressions guy. He's blocked. He's blocked guy. it out, Jason. He's clearly this is a traumatic. It was podcasting. Traumatic. It was traumatic. Well, Brett, I would say situations exactly like this are why Chris and I love to record our podcasts remotely because if if something like that does happen and you're all in the room together, it's just like a, a thick fog that's really hard to escape from. And uh, over Zoom, it's just a, a slippery little salamander. You just wiggle out and on to the next thing, and you don't even remember the Hurt Locker even existed in five minutes. You know. But I have to say that it, that's the only time this ever happened. And I would never have had Fred Armisen on anyway because I wouldn't know what to do with him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so that was the whole thing was kind of like uh, we figured it out early on. That was one of the things we figured out. Like, okay, we've got to have our own guests. We can't have the podcast one dictate that we need to have so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. So stick to the drums. It was a learning lesson. And I've never had that problem before. And we do, we do every single uh, podcast in person. They have to guess being there. We can't, we can't do this. My uh, director, my producer is too, like, I don't know, uptight about sound and stuff. And we did try to do one. I get it. We did try to do it over the phone and over zoom. And he just didn't like the sound. So I don't know. The sound thing is just for us, I think because of the pace and because it's just location, it just, it, it would limit us so much as to who could be on the show. It does. When you're doing two a week with guests, it's like, it's just oh. impossible. It would ruin the whole thing, you know? It would, yeah. It wouldn't really be possible. We do two a month. That's normal. That's normal. That's what a smart person would do. That's, you know. <laughs> um, and it's sort of, yeah. So, but I don't know. I mean, I think uh, in terms of really committing yourself to it in a way that I don't, you really amass a much larger audience. And so it's kind of, you know, and also we're subscribers. Uh, subscription yeah. but that's also really limits your audience too mm-hmm. but at the same time you know you it, it it works for us oh it definitely does but and you're able to you're able to pay so now it's you and a producer and you have to rent a studio and all of that money it's all covered by the subscribers we actually do it here at my place oh that's easy i mean you don't need a studio i mean that's like overkill no, no, no. for sure we actually looked into that and we did not
And it's also weird when you get into a pod fight with someone or a little tiff and they're inside your house. Never happened. Uh, that's happened to me before where I'm like, this, this, this podcast guest who I invited into my home is being a fucking cunt to me. And I'm like, oh, I don't even want you to use my bathroom anymore. Just get out of here, you know? I, uh, this is why I love Zoom. Jason doesn't work for Zoom, I promise. He's just, he doesn't really love people. Well, I don't, lo- <laughs> I don't love people either, but I do like the people. I invite people I like on. That's why it's good. It's never a problem. Yeah, that's why it's good. We've had, look, we've had some duds. But I think what we are in the position where we get pitched a lot and we just, but we get to choose. There's no pressure. If we choose someone and it's a dud, then it's on us. You know what I mean? We, we have no one to blame except myself. And sometimes a dud can be a beautiful thing. That's true. It's like a bad date. I think you just try to make it as funny as possible for yourself. Right. And that's, 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 mm. that's what a bad podcast guest can be, you know? Right. And it's just part of the deal. It's just part of the deal. If you do this many, it's going to happen. Yeah. But I also try to, I also try to, um, put a safety net under every guest that's coming on. And if I feel it's going soft or if it's kind of dying out, I really am kind of prepared enough to take them to another realm or what about this or what about that? And so I feel pretty secure in terms of keeping that hour or 90 minutes or two hours going. And especially because I have people on that I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I have people on I'm interested in and they can be, so obscure a writer you've never heard of or mm-hmm. some kid who made like this weird documentary that no one's ever seen whatever's interesting to me so i have a kind of enthusiasm for the subject this is not like a weekly job mm-hmm. it's sort of like okay let's figure out who i like <laughs> what i want to have on what i want to talk about and i don't really care yeah you know, i don't really care what anybody listens to or if anyone knows who this person is i just want to do a, a podcast with this person mm-hmm. it's, it's like writing something you have to wait for that spark to happen and then completely but uh, and we kind of do this the opposite half the guests i don't like and the other half i don't even know who they are and then that can be its own <laughs> unique little journey you know? that's the power that's the power but that's that's the most fun as the as the booker i love to bring a little surprise to tj you know it's a little it's a well, little I, treat I, I think of i think of these things as, as like um like an olympic sport like a figure skating or like a high dive where there's like the degrees of difficulty and a lot of podcasts think that just by having a high degree of difficulty means that they deserve their flowers but very rarely do they actually stick the landing but you you're the type of person who can have a high degree of difficulty with your conversations and actually stick the landing which is why you know you are who you are but Every intellectual podcast is just, you know, an, an excuse for people to say, you know, long words with ism <laughs> yeah, at the end of yeah. it. And it's, it's, it's a circle jerk. It's yeah, a circle jerk. I, but they never stick the landing. They never land on what they're trying to say clearly, concisely. And God bless you if you can make it halfway entertaining or funny, you know. But you don't. I mean, what are you working on now? How are you making money, Brett? Because I know the podcast ain't doing it. <laughs> During the <laughs> pandemic, thank God for the podcast because everything else sort of shut down. So without that monthly money coming in from patreon that really did help things out a lot Mm -hmm. um how do okay well i sold a book oh you did because like because when we saw you so when we had dinner a couple months ago you said that like there's a book i'm gonna i'm i think i'm gonna do it was kind of where you were at with it right it was a book that i actually serialized on my podcast Mm -hmm. during the the pandemic that i began uh, in september of 2020 and finished in september of 2021 i did the entire novel kind of as this serialized experience and that was enough i really didn't know if i needed to publish it i thought it was sort of an oral thing 
I got it out of my system. It was really popular. We got a lot of new subscribers. People were really into it and the way it was done. Mm-hmm. And then my agent wanted to see it. And so uh, I sent it to her. She had a fit all during the year that it was serialized. <laughs> she thought I was just throwing it away. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> I, bet she, I bet, bet she did. I bet she did. I bet she did. And so anyway, I uh, <laughs> read it. And I didn't really care if it was published or not. And then she, she, it was sent to the publisher. And they made an offer and it was fine. And so <laughs> don't sound so excited. Don't sound so excited. Hey, in 2022, we'll take fine. Look, it's hard. Fine is good. It's hard to get excited about publishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I get it. It really is. I've been in it for like 35 years and it's, it's no longer really the exciting business that it once was. Well, you've seen too, you've seen too much because you lived through the heyday when it was actually cool. And not only could you make a lot of money, but it was like truly glamorous, you know? Yeah, it was. That is true. Which is maybe more important than the money for me, at least. And now <laughs> it is, it has, it has gone. And there's rarely something that's more important than money to me, Brett. You know, I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest with you. It is hard to kind of get, maybe it is age. I don't know. Maybe I've done it so much, but it is a different world in terms of, where the novel exists compared to where it used to exist, people reading in terms of, you know, the new book, the new novel. And now what it's like, it's like, you know, whatever, it's like euphoria or it's a new TV show. And that's what everyone is talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the novel, I mean, maybe in my world, I see it, I see it more just because I'm plugged into that. But like, there is that book every couple months. You know what I mean? There is the book that's kind of like, you know, but the last one, or the last author that really had that thing was 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 what's her name? Um, Sally Rooney. Where like the world literally like paid attention to a book in like a pretty mass way. That's the last. That's the last time I've seen something. But all, but to counterpoint, you couldn't even remember her name. Yeah, you know? no, that's fair. Can you remember the name of the book? Oh, uh, normal people. Normal people. Normal people. Normal people. Well, there was three books. I mean, I read all three books, but you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You read the last one, Conversations with Friends. Was that it? Yeah, no. that's how bored Chris is. He's read all three of these books. No, I think the books. The last one, there was this storyline about like this regular guy who like worked on the docks being like by, which I didn't believe. Like, I just don't think that kind of person exists in this way that she was describing it. Like a hard-nosed like irish dock worker who also sucks dick just didn't seem that realistic to me well i just jizzed what'd you say i just jizzed <laughs> you're like tell me more i don't need to read the that book sounded hot. That sounded sounds hot. I, be- I believe in that dock worker i believe That's- in him very much <laughs> I'm picturing him. Those dock workers do exist. Chris, they are rare. I want to read this book now. <laughs> he wasn't actually a dock worker, but he worked like a he worked like a man's job. You know what I mean? He worked in like a factory, basically. Look, I, I think, you know, it's like the numbers game when they say when you're picking up a woman, you know, you ask a hundred women if, if they'll sleep with you. One of them's going to say yes. You know, you just got to get there. And it's the same thing. Of, like, if you go around asking a hundred straight guys, mm-hmm. you know, can I suck your dick behind this Ralph's? One of them's going to be like... <laughs> All right, let's go. All, All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. You hurry up. Yeah. I got to go. Look, in my, I would say it's more than one is about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A nut's a nut. A mouth is a mouth. From experience, I would say it's more, it's more five to ten, and they are never, ever going to have this conversation with their straight friends that they want no, no, someone sure. to suck their dick 
or that they wanted this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other side. I wanted to ask now that you bring it up, Brett. Is the is has <laughs> have the apps killed the classic cruise, or can you can you still go do that in L.A.? You know, it, Jason's Ralph's reference. Not not my world. I never did it. I was never. That was never my scene. Never went hiking at Griffith Park. <laughs> never did anything. I read about it. I read about it, but I yeah, never yeah, did yeah. it. We did too. And so it was sort of like. Uh, and then by the time I got out of high school, straight into college. And then AIDS kind of hit in four. Yeah. It was I never had that kind of freewheeling sort of like seventies, I guess, sexual availability. Uh, so I never that that was ever part of my scene. Mm-hmm. I wish it was. I wish it had. <laughs> yeah. It was a drag being scared of AIDS, and it was a drag having to you know yeah. have a young man and come to New York and have everything kind of like closed, and so you have to kind of get married or whatever. I mean, it's sort of like have sex. Your old uh, podcast one buddy Adam Carolla had a phrase that about that era pre AIDS mid Coke was the best time to be alive <laughs> in Los Angeles. <laughs> like there is that sweet spot of a few years. Where the cocaine was pure. Yeah, I remember that. AIDS didn't exist yet. Yeah. You know, like you would you would go hitchhiking and you didn't have to worry that this person was going to kill you and dump the body. Sure. You could go cruising sure. and you didn't have to worry that he was going to be a serial killer. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could leave your front, you know, your kids are playing on the front lawn. Like, that doesn't happen at all anymore. Freedom. Freedom. Do you still go back to New York? Uh, I don't. Uh, New York kind of ended for me uh, a long time ago. You know, the party ends. Joan Gideon <laughs> wrote about it very well in that essay, Goodbye to All That, the last essay in Slousing Towards Bethlehem, where she describes how wonderful New York is as a young person. It's so romantic. It's like there's hope. There's the future. Uh, <laughs> everything seems possible. And then you kind of figure it out a little bit and the party ends and it becomes kind of a more dark, kind of depressing city, a realistic city in a way. Mm-hmm. And everyone ultimately, or a lot of people leave it. And she writes, especially for those of us who came from California. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting that so many of the people I know who were raised here in California and lived in New York for a long time ultimately have relocated back to California. So that's kind of what happened to me. And it happened around 2005. Um but I also had this loss. I, my partner of seven years, out of the blue, had this like brain aneurysm. Young guy didn't know what hit him. They found him in his, uh, you know, his um, his workspace, and so it was really kind of um, uh, the catalyst in a way to go. Okay, well, how long, much longer can I live here? All this clothes were in my apartment. It was just this thing. Seven years, mm-hmm. and I started spending more and more time in Los Angeles, and then really liking it in a way that I really didn't expect. And then uh, I was not able at all to handle New York. And I also, it wasn't only Mike's death. It was also what New York was becoming. And it just seemed boring and expensive. All of my interesting friends were priced out. People were moving further and further away, even from Brooklyn. You know, they were moving farther and farther out. Mm-hmm. And so I felt kind of alone. And I ultimately decided to move back to LA, which I did in 2006. So, but I, but I still have my place in New York. I haven't sold that place. The only good investment I've ever made in my life. I <laughs> bought my apartment in 1991 or 90. I remember my dad was a big real estate guy. Um, I told my dad, dad, I, they, they're not letting you rent it anymore. They want me to buy it. And he said, okay, well, so we'll, we'll take a look at the stats and whatever. And he said, what are you talking about? per square foot, $180 per square foot. Are they out of their mind? (laughs) But 
we got it. I got it. And I still had it. And it's, and so I'm going to probably sell it next year. Um, the last time I was there, uh, I was just bummed out by it. I just did not like the vibe. I did not like anything about it. So no, I don't, I don't. I go back pretty often and I feel the exact opposite way I know. where it's like fully energizing and gives me like LA can just never compare in that way for me. And I just need to tap in and like get that and then come back and chill. I just had dinner uh, two nights ago with this couple who uh, just did that. Uh, they went, they made sure they had reservations at a couple places they want to try four Broadway shows. They wanted to see, <laughs> and it was in and out and they loved it and they felt great and refreshed. And New York was awesome, but they live here and they don't want to live in New York. So whatever. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I mean, I, I maybe, maybe I should be doing that. Well, I think everybody, I feel like a, most people have that place that does that for them. That's mm. not their home, whether it's New York or whether white people now have deemed Mexico city, that place, you know what I mean? It just depends. You well, know? Palm Springs was enough for me. Yeah. I used to think I used to drive out to Palm just like decide on a Thursday night and just throw things in the car and drive two hours out to the desert. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my place. But, uh, but see, actually making the plans, getting to the airport, getting on the plane, going through all these layers, <laughs> to get on the plane, to get off of the plane, to go. I just, I want to just drive somewhere and then just like hang out. I'm just, I've done, I've done so much traveling in my life that I'm, I don't know. I, I just don't have the, I don't have the bug. No, no, I get it. I get it. Going to the airport does suck. There's no question. <laughs> no, I know. I was talking to someone who uh, was lucky enough to get a flight on a private plane and he was just telling me, this was actually last night. He was just telling me, "Oh my God, I luckily got met someone in Aspen or whatever." And I, you know, I felt this was <laughs> I felt this was going to Aspen, and I don't know why, but I felt that for me. It was Christmas, and he had to stay over for business, and then all the flights were like canceled, whatever. But he had one friend who had a private plane, and he just got on that, and whatever. It just like it sounds like heaven. You're telling me you've never hitched a ride on somebody's plane? I did. I did. I was about to say, come on now. I used to be friends with a guy named. Uh, John Newhouse, whose father was Cy Newhouse, who ran that. That'll do it. That'll do it. And somehow in the nineties, he wanted me, uh, the son, uh, to come to Europe to certain magazine conventions for Condé Nast and give like a speech. And he would pay me money and fly me on his <laughs> private plane. So you would just in New York, you just go to like the sedan would pull up to this, you know, Lear. Mm -hmm. You get on it, go over the ocean, and then mm -hmm. land in some deserted, you know field in berlin or wherever i was <laughs> but you know and that and believe me yes the ease of that is um is fantastic but um I'm, i don't know and also i flying during the pandemic i don't want to fly with a mask on and i'd rather wait until all of that is kind of taken down no i get that i think it's happening soon it was it was actually supposed to happen tomorrow but they push it back one month yeah, April. April. yeah. yeah. i can't wait well, sorry, we, we got off track, but w so what's up with the book? When are we gonna, when is it gonna come out? Do we have an idea? Well, I'm turning in the second, uh, pass on edits tomorrow mm -hmm. and it should go into copy editing next week. And I guess December or January, uh, it'll be coming out. And, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, we can't wait for the round of press. That's my favorite part of any. Brady Snell's book release. I'll I'm tell not, you that. I don't think I'm going to. I, I am really going to start on the bargaining table for that. So I'm not doing it. Come on, they love you and you love them. It's a. It's a. I, I don't what, care. If, what if you have you know like our mutual friend Nomi Fry does the New Yorker profile this time? Uh, I doubt it will be as good as her Simon Rex piece or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, but mm -hmm. you know what? Look, right now I'm. Uh, 
I'm not even thinking about it. And I really don't want to go back into that. I guess because last time it was very fraught and very confrontational because of the nature of the book, which was white. Well, I was going to, I was going to say, I feel like that's a, I feel like that was a different experience for that exact reason. I've always had fans and I've always had a lot of detractors ever since my first book. So I have never been a universally praised or loved writer. It's always been a lot of people hate my shit, <laughs> a lot of people like it, but it is really divided evenly. Okay, well, Brett, because of that, can you give Chris some life tips, <laughs> advice on how to navigate this? Because I think Chris sort of suffers from the same plight or or benefits from it, you know? They either love me or hate me, baby. They don't care. Okay, I'm good at that. I'm good at that. I mean, I'm good yeah, at that. Yeah, I just don't care. Okay. And, you, and if it happens young enough, you, you build armor. So it was happening to me in writing workshops when I was in college. And then, you know, people tend to think, oh, you wrote less than zero. You wrote less than zero. I remember those reviews. I mean, 50% of them were terrible. But with writers going, how could a publishing house as prestigious as Simon & Schuster publish this junk? Who is this drug-addicted person whose journals this and now and now look at us we're having a guy on the podcast (laughs) last week that wrote a book called fuck boy i've heard of that book yeah (laughs) that is literally a a, it's it's pretty interesting but it's like language wise it's it i can't even imagine what a writer's workshop would say to this guy if he read a passage of this in front of the class (laughs) is it real is it real or does someone else write it or no 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 he's no he's a he's a freak man he's a full-blown like freak and like you know he walked he he was he walked halfway across america alone like just a wild guy Mm -hmm. he lives it did you read cherry uh i read part of that yeah that this is akin to that i don't think it's quite as good but it's in a it's in a it's in a similar kind of vein. Did you see the movie of Sherry? No, I heard it was abysmal. <laughs> it's okay. What's up with Tom Holland? Like, why do we like him? Oh, we just do. He's hot as fuck. What are you talking about? He's fucking hot. He's the hottest. Brett, that guy's that guy's five foot three. Every are you willing to slum is. it like that? The height doesn't really mean much for a gay man. Oh, I've heard different. I've heard different. Oh no, Jason's definitely Jason's definitely heard different. Nobody hates a tall fella. <laughs> no, of course not. But it, look, women might have much more of a problem with short men than men do. Men really don't. And I think Tom mm. Holland is right up there right now in the culture for gay men as like the number one go-to, I don't know, twink or whatever you want to call it. But there's weight classes. So he's Damn, in he, okay. he's in his own, he's in a twink category, but there's other mm-hmm. there's other Toms out there with a little more meat on their bones, perhaps. Um, like who? <laughs> I think I'm thinking more of like a like a Channing Tatum kind of fella, maybe. Yeah, I do like Channing Tatum. That's more my speed. I bet. My Magic Mike era, Channing Tatum. I don't know. He's gotten a little uh, right. the dog era of Channing. The do- bro, the dog. That dog movie is fucking crazy. It's crazy that that movie got made. <laughs> I didn't think he was that famous. I didn't think he was famous enough for a movie like that to get made. And he proved us all wrong. How did it do? It, I didn't do anything. I feel like I saw previews for six months and then a billboard and I never heard about it again. But does it really? But but does theatrical gross mean anything anymore? I don't think it does. I think there are so many subsets of how movies make money and are sold around that. Oh, yeah. No, North no, American no. box office. Oh, well, it's a bomb. I don't think that fucking matters anymore. It definitely doesn't. I think matter. there's a whole other way where these movies become profitable or else the companies don't care. It's not about that individual movie. It's about either building a relationship or, mm-hmm. you know, well, we'll put this up because Bradley Cooper's in it. Whatever. I think it's a whole system of stuff going on. And the entertainment press just doesn't, they're so antiquated 
and not sophisticated enough to like delineate i think what's going on <laughs> i mean that's definitely true but i also think there's an element of like inter- selling international rights and all that stuff gets gets so dense that like people don't People wouldn't under understand. Yeah, it would yeah. require too much. Yeah, it's bo- it is boring. Well, yeah, we don't even we don't even remember what like a good box office opening number is nowadays. Now it's just like it did eighty million, and you're like, that's good. I don't know. And then and sometimes it'll be like, we did twelve million this weekend. I'm like, that sounds bad. And they're like, this is so good. And sometimes eighty million isn't enough. Sometimes an eighty million weekend is a bomb. Sometimes eighty million is a stinker. I think the the Spider Man, uh, you know, No Way Home. I guess. That that was an impressive theatrical moment where people went to that theater and gave that movie a billion dollars in theatrical tickets during still when the pandemic really wasn't quite mm-hmm. over in a way. So I don't know. There are examples of that still out there. But in terms of a certain kind of movie that we're going to be going back to in the theater, that's not happening. That's going to be streaming. And we're not going to be seeing that middle of the road, Mm-mm. whatever, you know, mid-level uh thriller or i don't know comedy or whatever i think that's gone and it's just going to be the marvel movies and the dc it has to be an experience based film and not just a good story unfortunately unfortunately the mid film is my personal favorite you know i love a mid (laughs) a mid thriller a mid romantic movie that's that's exact that's right up my street 63 percent on the ron tomato scale oh that's good oh sweet spot there's one coming out this weekend with Ben Affleck and um, oh, and his the the chick he dated for Anna De Arnaz. Big fan of her and directed by um, you know uh, Adrian Lyne, who did Fatal Attraction. Oh, and wow. it's a very it's a very trashy sex thriller with Ben Affleck and this woman he's involved with, who's I think fucking everyone else, including Jacob Elordi and other guys. Oh, a Lordy's a Lordy's in it. Yeah. So is it, this sounds like it's something, is something strong enough to get you out to the theaters, Brett. Are you going to go? It's not released in theaters. Oh, streaming only. It's only going to be on, on Hulu. I'm the, I'm already a premium subscription member. <laughs> no, I heard. <laughs> I am too. I heard about this movie. Some I, noise. I thought, God, this sounds really kind of awful, but I saw the trailer last night. I said, this is exactly, I think the kind of movie. They mm-hmm. Like a kind of glossy, ominous sex thriller set among you know suburban people. That does sound great. That's my up. That's kind of my upbringing, so I can relate. He's obviously. fucking every every young guy. He's incredibly <laughs> jealous. The music's getting more and more ominous, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, you know, in those trailers, it goes it slammed right to black. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you hear, <laughs> I don't know. And then there's a rush of imagery, and it's all like the crazy climax of the movie. Whatever. It looks good. Can Affleck <laughs> can Affleck still be like sexy guy like that? I think there are women who always will find him so. Oh yeah, for yeah sure. for sure. Oh for sure, for sure. Always find him so. He he will age into it, and there will always be women. Who find Once him. he he can drop that thirty pounds whenever he wants to, and when he does, it, it comes back pretty quick. Well, most of them do that. Leo always gains about thirty pounds in between movies. A lot of these actors, well, just, they just they're just normal people. Yeah, they eat just normally, and then it's time to do the movies for the. They, they drop them all. That doesn't seem healthy, but that's a different podcast. Well, it's I do that every year, and it, I am not represented by CAA or WME. I just do it because <laughs> I eat more during uh dur- during the winter time, and I eat less during the summer time. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. Jason does a holiday bulk like Leo in St. Bart's. It's just a little less glamorous. You know what I mean? It's less less calamari, less women, same kind of outcome. <laughs> I'm on a boat, but I'm working on it. Not I'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. chartering it. 
<laughs> yeah, you're the below deck staff. You're not the captain. Someone's gotta or toss the, the little buoy out. <laughs> okay, so so Brett, you kind of um, for somebody who's a little bit older than us, you've you've done a very good job at kind of staying relevant, having an open mind to new things. Um, you know, and you you are not really like you're you're set in your own ways in in some way, but you you seem pretty malleable and open minded to a lot of things. Uh, you know, as Chris and I are kind of getting older, do you have any advice on how to kind of not become set in our ways in terms of culture? Uh, I don't think there's anything you can do about it. I'm not conscious of it. I'm just not conscious mm-hmm. of it. And and some people might say that I'm not at all. Uh, but I, I don't know. There was just something growing up. I was really, really interested in uh, movies and in books and in music. And I think maybe much more than a lot of my friends because I perhaps was a little bit more alienated because I was different. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of, I really loved the search for, uh, I mean, I was my, I was the only kid I know who would like try and catch movies at revival theaters when I was 16, Mm -hmm. 15, 16, or finding that obscure British band that no one else was listening Mm -hmm. to or reading that book that no one else was reading, always trying to find things, you know, being on this search for, for something, maybe finding myself or a reflection of myself yeah. that you can really find nowhere else in the uh, in the culture because it wasn't being directed at me. It was, I had to reprocess movies and pop songs and everything. So anyway, and I think that stayed with me for a long time and still does. And I, and my my boyfriend, who is younger than me, is kind of amazed how interested I seem to be in keeping up with music. Mm-hmm. And I see it as just something, I don't see it as like a desperate old man thing to do. It's just something that I naturally want to do. And, you know, so I don't know, keeping up with stuff. I always just found it interesting, you know, to try new things. I know someone was shocked that I directed a web series. Why would you direct a web series? I thought, well, they were new at the time and it sounded fun. The same thing with a podcast, you know, people going podcast was a podcast. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something that I want to do, but advice is, it's advice. There is no advice. Yeah. That's what I was wondering if it's something that you like make a conscious decision about, or it just comes naturally because I, I think it's something that I, I'm not worried about myself in the future. I think I'll, I'll, you know, keep up with new shit, but I'm worried about it because it's so depressing to me when you see somebody who, you know, who's even like 35 and they're just like, I don't know about that. Like they, 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 they just kind of mentally check out and like, <laughs> I know what I like and that's all I like. And I don't want to accept anything new. It bums me out. It does bum me out. And I, um, but I think it keeps you, I think it keeps you young when you're, when you're searching for new shit. I think maybe it does. I always found this like when, when a band would go open for kind of like a, an older band, you know, like let's say somebody's opening for like third eye blind and the shows are sold out every night, but the, the entire crowd is people that stopped listening to music in high school. <laughs> like, so they, they are literally discovering new music because they're seeing a band open for their favorite band from high school, even though it's 20 years later or 30 years later. Third eye, which is like third eye wild blind. To me. Third eye blind. What the, <laughs> oh, interesting. Why, what, why was third eye blind on your mind? Third Eye Blind's first album is an absolute classic front to back. <laughs> Put it on later. You'll oh, agree with I me. listened to it over and over when it came out. And in fact, became friendly with, what's his name? Stephen Jenkins, who was a lead singer? Yeah, he's a freak. He's oh, a freak. Oh, he was a freak. Yes. <laughs> hard to hang out with. Very hard to hang out with. But I, I even think that part of their second record is good. No, it is. It is. But my, I, I, I use that example because 
that is something I had a firsthand account of. It like actually happened to someone I know. I, I got it. I got but it. I, I got but it. I think that that is like a even with with so much information at our fingertips to live like to live like that is like yeah, it's mind boggling to me as well. You know, like it's just it's it seems harder to avoid new stuff than it is to seek it out at a certain point. Uh, yes, I agree. But I still have lists. Mm-hmm. You know, I still read stuff. And go, oh, okay. I want to check that book out. Oh, yeah. I would never have heard of that movie. Okay, that goes on the list. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me and too. So, me too. I, so I am curious enough to you know want to keep pursuing that. It's not a drag at all to me. I don't find it even. I find it effortless. I just am compelled. No, me too. I. It's a. It's also like if you're plugged into culture, especially now, the way that all of this stuff we're talking about gets like intellectualized by every kind of publication. It's like a pretty easy, you know, like if you don't know who Rosalia is, but you read the newspaper, you're going to get 5,000 words on her from the New York times and her entire background that could compel you to, to listen to her new album when it comes out tomorrow. Correct. I'm already compelled. Uh, Yeah. Jason, you're compelled by her looks. I'm more compelled with her, her difficult upbringing and her origin story. (laughs) I just think she's a good singer. I would, I, I would like to have sex with her as well. As a side note, Brent, I was rereading your your last book, and in, in, and you were mentioning how like your your kind of favorite version of true pop music is only really being kind of kept alive nowadays in the country music world. Is that something that you Let's still go. agree with, or have you noticed any new, you know, more traditional pop music that's kind of wetting your whistle in the way that you like it? Uh, my favorite song, uh, one of my favorite songs is by this country artist named Morgan Wade. Uh, Jason Isbell was kind of her mentor. She came out with this record. Uh, and the best song of the last fucking year is Wilder Days. I wish I knew you in your Wilder Days. That is like a classic piece of hooky rock and just was the first time I heard this song. It opens a record. It's like, this is country now? This would have been like a top 10 pop hit yeah. 20 years ago or whatever. That's what I'm noticing more when I grab it. And I'm not hearing a lot of like rock and pop acts that are fulfilled me in the way that those acts used to. And now I found myself drifting over to country to get that stuff. Country, pop, pop, country, alt, whatever it is. So, um, so I don't know. That was in that moment. Uh, 2018, 2017, when I was really realizing that I put that in that essay, in that book. Uh, yeah, things change now. Things change quickly. I mean, we're now having this conversation four years, five years after that actually happened. So yeah, I've calmed down and, I, and I'm not listening to as much country as I, as I did. I agree with you though on the country thing. I think it's really interesting what it's become. It's so professional like the songwriting is so good and it it doesn't they just apply it in a different way than other genres do because that's how the business is set up and that's like how nashville works yeah it's like there's no one that comes to nashville as like in denial about doing co-writes with people who have hits the way that like a guy in a band would have too much ego to do a co-write you you know what i mean like until he needed to do one the label kind of forced him to i agree speaking of your other book or your most recent book cancel culture i've been talking to some young people lately who are thinking that we're kind of uh the the rise of cancel culture is sort of on a downturn right now and the waters aren't as treacherous as they were maybe a year or two ago is that something you've you've noticed or do you think it's kind of always going to be on the on the on the rise until we're all canceled i think i think something interesting happened the last week or so 
when I guess was it Sam Elliott was on Mark Marin. Yeah, yeah. And he made a bunch of comments about the power of the dog. Now, I don't think he's been canceled for that. I think a year ago, a year and a half ago, he might have been canceled for making these statements about how why I guess essentially why does the movie have to be so fucking gay? You know, why does it have, why are these fucking homosexual cowboys wandering around? Yeah. And what does this woman from Australia? I think she's actually from New Zealand, uh, Jane Campion. What does she know about cowboys? You know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, look, he's eighty years old. Let him say it. I think there, I think there might have been a time where he might have been canceled. But what's interesting is that Jane Campion made a couple of comments in her acceptance speeches when she's been winning all these directors things that I now see a lot more complaints about. Oh, she got ki- she got killed for that stuff about Venus and Serena. So stupid, though. I mean, for her to be killed by that, I know what she was trying to say. I guess she said to them, because uh, the power of the dog has been in competition with King Richard all this award season. So they're all usually in the same room going after the same awards. Okay. So Jane Campion got up when she won yet another Best Director Oscar uh, award and said, noted to, you know, Venus and Serena, you know, girls, I guess I liked your movie. It's wonderful. Um, But I got to tell you, uh, you've never had to play against men the way I've had to. (laughs) So, all right, I guess she's saying that because you're in women's sports or whatever that, but I've had to work in fucking the film business since the 80s and i've had to you know as a woman it's been okay i i don't know what race sex what what's going on in the culture that is now attacking jane campion and i see so many more think pieces about what she did wrong than i see about sam elliott and i guess the list comes for all yeah no 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 i I mean (laughs) if you play with cancel culture you're going to be on that. Yeah. <laughs> if you let go of it and you don't have any part in it, we're all free. But if we keep doing this thing. So I don't know. I mean, I think Jane Campion will still win her Oscar next week. Mm-hmm. But it is the hand ringing over what she said was, first of all, it's as absurd as any hand ringing over what anybody says. I mean, it's just, you know, but that that might be a turning point mm-hmm. or an example of one. That people just are tired of it, and we just, just you just can't. It's hopeful. I mean, I'm glad that we're kind of seeing that day where people are pushing back a little bit on it. Yeah, there were some dark days there where it was like. But I guess it's sort of turning into like the the 9/11 joke theory or something. Yes, you can make a joke about 9/11 as it just has to be a perfect home run, 10 out of 10 joke, and you could make a comment on your acceptance speech about that other thing, but you you better have gone back and rewritten it and worded it in such a perfect way that it's going to be a home run or else you're going to get killed. The thing is with that speech, if she was coming off the dome, I, I'm if she wrote that down, I could have told her that wouldn't have gone over well. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, whether, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know that ain't going to fly right now. So if you prepared that, why do it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you know the temperature out here and you know it doesn't matter what your sentiment is, like, you're just going to get killed. Like, I don't understand forcing it unless it was off the dome and she was just kind of like, it was flippant. And you if know? you're going to say something like that off the top of your head, all you have to do is be very good at saying things off the top of your head, which most people are not, unfortunately. It also sounds completely innocuous to me. Sam Elliott, Jane Campion, I can't believe Venus and Serena would be offended to the degree that the entertainment... Well, the question is, is are they are, are they offended, or, are they, or, or is the press offended? No, no one's offended. No one is offended, except a small, tiny group of people want to cause some trouble, and, but, it, but no one is offended. This happened, well, we talked about earlier this week, this happened with 
Japanese Breakfast, uh, her album art, and then Machine Gun Kelly came out with an album, and the press was like, these look the same, what the fuck? And then Mich- the Japanese Breakfast was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> like, I don't care about this. Why are you guys making... Like, the media fully made up the story. Yes. They had never had any problems. They had never... And they like made a joke of it and both took the high road. And it was kind of refreshing to see Let's- two celebrities just like think it's funny and be like, I don't care what Rolling Stone says about this. Like it doesn't matter. Well, that's what you have to do. And I do think a lot of them are doing that. You know, Kanye West was always like that to Billie Eilish. Who's like that to Justin Bieber. Who's just not even dealing with the press. And they're too rich, man. They're too rich. Like who cares? Who cares? Good for them. Uh, Because I mean, that's really where you want to be. You want to be so wealthy that you don't have to deal with the press. (laughs) And you want to be so wealthy that you can say whatever the fuck you want without, you know, and that, that will always, that will always exist. That's, that's what America's built. It's built. It's built on fuck you money. Yeah. That's what you and Musk is so far. It's built on fuck you money. It really is, man. It really is. That's the only thing that gets you out of everything that puts you above no matter what. Yeah. And you know, Elon Musk has it and Kanye has it and you know, Jeff Bezos has fuck me money. Yeah. That- Anyone, please. <laughs> Do you think Grimes is really dating Chelsea Manning? Uh, God only knows. I don't know. <laughs> that- Just imagine what that room smells like. Huh? <laughs> I-, I think they're friends. I know they're friends. Are they- I mean, hasn't Grimes had her? Didn't she just have her second kid with Elon? Yeah. With a surrogate. But you saw how the writer found out. That's the best part of the story. There was a baby crying when she was doing the interview. Was it for Vanity Fair? Yeah, it was for Vanity Fair. So the writer's in the house and they hear a baby crying and she basically has to tell her because there's a fucking baby crying. It's like a it's like a scene out of the nanny. Just like there's no baby upstairs. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I hear <laughs> a baby crying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. I love that. But that's the thing about that's the thing is that that like doing a celebrity profile for real that stuff happens and that's why that profile got so many fucking clicks. Like Grimes is only so interesting to people like on a mass scale, you know. So Completely. so for that to happen and that's why that stuff has to continue. And I think the publications know that to an extent, but the celebrities have all the power. But then what? And then the celebrity profile is something that has got to stop. I still cannot. And I've tried to cancel all my magazines. I still get Esquire. God only knows why. I still get GQ every month. It's like a cockroach. I have tried stopping them. And they. I think, I think at one point I got like a 10-year subscription. I don't know when. And they just won't stop. And so, you know, I, there, Jake Gyllenhaal is on the cover of the new Esquire. I have yeah. zero interest in reading that piece. <laughs> A celebrity profile. There was a time when I was growing up where, where they could be quite interesting and titillating, and there was something, there was a tension there, or there was a freedom there. Yeah, yeah. And they were fun to read. They are the most boring things to read now, and they have been for a decade, over a decade. It's just like, what's the point? Promoting something, <laughs> I guess? Who's reading these magazines? Here's here's a photo of me with my dogs. We've just been really hanging out. It's just how the system. It's just how the system's set up. It's like magazines have to have a celebrity to sell the cover. In theory, you know what I mean. And that's just that's just how it's always going to be. This is why we do this podcast, Brett. We're bucking the system. Before we before we wrap it up, I you know there's been talks of your former collaborator Lindsay Lohan really making a comeback. Do you think those are founded or unfounded? You know what? I haven't been paying attention. Uh, my partner has. And he always brings up his phone and says, can you believe this about Lindsay? Look at, because we did get to know her. Yeah. Sort of when the canyons was happening, that movie that I wrote, the Paul Schrader directed that she starred in. And 
there were two kind of different Lindsays. There was a very likable Lindsay who was very kind of smart and rational, knew a lot about filmmaking, was very uh, instructive about how to shoot her, how to shoot a scene even, should her character come in this way. Mm. She had notes all over the script. She was serious about it. She also had a lot of other problems that derailed her and made her less serious. Sure. But she was kind of, you know, cool, a little too crazy. And we ultimately liked her. I mean, there was some tense moments when she was trying to steal some of my boyfriend's drugs out of his drawer in the bedroom. And that led to a big mm. breakdown. That will create that will create a tense moment. I, yeah. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, whatever. It was sort of like and it was like his Adderall, you know. And Oh, it wasn't even the good stuff. Jesus Christ. Well, she, was, she said, I don't want your Adderall. I was looking for Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. Like, See, any port in the storm, as they say. But anyway, I don't know. I, look, she's really talented. <laughs> and, if she, and she could have been if she had not gone it, it imploded. I believe that kind of woman who would be getting the a-list the jessica chastain roles do you think she's one of those people who is capable of she's so talented that she can switch it on when it's time to switch it on or the demons just too big too great the demons are big yeah the demons are because i do think there's Mm -hmm. people that can just like they're so good that when it's go time they can just do it and they, they they block it out and maybe she's ready to do that but the demons are the demons right and also what do you cast her in i mean when we casted her in the canyons paul schrader had a very like complicated idea of the Lindsay of it and the character merged. And he liked using Lindsay for that. And it kind of fit in with the character and the whole thing. But how do you cast Lindsay as sort of like a normal person in like a TV show or in a movie? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if any of you watched uh, Lindsay's Beach House. Did anybody watch that MTV reality show? Brad, it I really can, is I remarkable. Can, I got, I got, I got, got to watch the first season. I caught some clips. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I'm a Lindsay. I'm a big Lindsay head. She was my number one for years. Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. A Lindsay's been hired to run a beach club in Mykonos. <laughs> and she is, and she's, and, and the show is kind of like, like some reality shows, kind of like a game show. There are a bunch of kind of like airhead. They're called ambassadors flown in from West Hollywood, like stylists and bartenders and hostesses and waiters. And they're all vying to prove themselves to yes. Lindsay. It's a competition show. It's a competition, competition. show. Getting her good graces. So they, yeah, they do stupid shit competitions and then Lindsay berates all of them. <laughs> the voice. They all did a terrible I forget job. about the voice. The voice is so, <laughs> the voice is truly iconic. That's one of her greatest assets. Oh. Leather and whiskey. Yeah. And Adderall. Yeah. No. It's called Long Island, Jason. You should look it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'd like to see her comeback role play uh, Anna Delvey. I, I can see that happening with the right wardrobe, perhaps. A little too old, mm-hmm. perhaps, for that role, but a younger mm-hmm. Lindsay playing that. Oh, look, I thought the girl, the show is really terrible, but I thought the girl was trying to do her best. Uh, Julia Garner? She did a good job. She did a good job. The show failed. I made fun of the accent on Twitter. And people were like, well, that's what she actually sounded like. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's it's awful to watch. Like, it doesn't matter that that, like, it doesn't matter. This is entertainment, guys. It's this not, is this one situation where we're okay with you taking some sensational liberties. Yeah, this is, this isn't a documentary style program. This is a Netflix, like, like soap opera, basically. Like, it doesn't, it, there's no need to be. Truthful. Yeah, I know. It was a real <laughs> missed opportunity because I think it's a really fascinating story. And I kept thinking, God, what if Jesse Armstrong or someone took this material and had that budget, casted it differently, and really did 
this right instead of the Shonda Rhimes thing, which was just like bad network writing. It was terrible. It was it was I terrible. Think I think there's still enough. I think there's still enough fat to chew on there. I think this I is, disagree. I think we're gonna get three more Delvey movies, nope. ten more podcasts, two more book deals. I think we're just getting started. No, I think the Delvey thing. I that's where I disagree with both of you. I think the story isn't actually that interesting, and that's the problem. I think it's like. It could be told well, but at its core, it's kind of like, okay, you know what I mean? So what? It's just not, I don't know. It doesn't do enough for me as a story for the show to be compelling, even if the show is bad. I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, she did call her daddy, Jason. She did call her daddy. No, Emily in Paris. Exactly. That's a great TV show. What is? (laughs) Emily in Paris. That's real TV. Uh, I bowed out after the second or third episode. Me too, Brett. Me too. Is it really good? Fuck no. Fuck yeah. It's fire. It's fire. Yes, I stand. I, I I love it. I really do like it. I really do like it. I'm not being facetious. Who, that's Darren Star's show. Yeah. He, he created it. I think so, yeah. It's interesting. We're watching right now. Uh, we have watched uh, And Just Like That on HBO. Hell yeah. Smart move. Oh, we, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Yeah. That's a show I can't watch, but yeah. Jason loves. Yeah. Loves. Yeah. I Look, I could not turn away from it. Mm-hmm. It was a car crash. Mm-hmm. I, there's no doubt about it. I was so compelled by it, though. It was almost Circian in how it was shot, <laughs> and it was so weirdly written, and there were these long pauses and these weird characters, and we were supposed to take it so seriously. It was really <laughs> just, like, fascinating, almost creepily so. Yeah. And I would, I would watch it hidden in my bedroom. And uh, <laughs> and one time, I, there was a pounding on the door, and my boyfriend said, "Why is this locked?" <laughs> so I went and I unlocked the door, and I just said, "Well, I don't care." And I said, "He said, what are you watching?'" And I said, "I'm watching um, the sequel to like, just like that." And so he sat down and he watched it, and he was looking at it for about ten minutes, and I'm just like trembling with just <laughs> i love this show it's so terrible and then he looked around and he said this is the worst show i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and then you just hand him the popcorn bowl and be like yeah exactly he watched all six other episodes he said i can't explain so then we went back to the first season of sex and city mm-hmm. a totally completely different world and experience and so much better oh, yeah. so much better than i remembered and i knew all those people like i knew candace bushnell wrote it i knew everyone people were based on. So I was kind of reliving 1997, 1996, the last couple of weeks. And we're now into the second uh, season and it's, it's good. Oh yeah. I don't remember yeah. being it good. I don't remember being, I remember it being fun. But I didn't remember being as uh, well done. As- <sighs> I didn't watch it in its, when it aired, but I watched it when I was much younger. I, I remember watching it when it aired and I had a good, like at the, at the time my brother was stealing a lot of stuff from Barnes and Noble. Well, he would steal large books and then return them <laughs> and use the credit to buy like music and DVDs and things like that. And we he what, he bought the Sex and the City box set on DVD, and then with the leftover credit, there was a martini shaker set that you could buy in like the knickknack <laughs> section of Barnes and Noble. And a friend of mine came over, and we thought it would be funny to make martinis and watch Sex and the City in the bedroom with the door locked, like how are you were looking. And my mom knocked on the door and said, "What the fuck are you guys doing there?" And she saw me. And my friend drinking martinis and watching Sex in the City, and and she was like, "Oh, my son is gay." But 
I think, <laughs> I think yeah, she would have thought that if you were drinking Cosmos. Yeah, that's true. Which I think those glasses were for. I think those glasses were for Cosmos. The Cosmo would be definitely more on brand. That's for sure. And it, I mean, I the the gin martini that I made was truly disgusting to my you know sixteen year old mouth or whatever. And a Cosmo would have been a real treat. But I remember that happening. I was like, this is the first moment where my mom strongly believes that I am gay. Um, and it was it was a big moment for me. Luckily, luckily, she still does today, and not much has changed. It's and, a spectrum, uh, man. I'm all over the place. Brett, we really appreciate you doing how long gone. Uh, can't wait to dine dine with you tonight in Beverly Hills. It's really a, the nice cap, <laughs> the cap we need to this big day. It's an interesting restaurant you chose too. It's a great restaurant. You, you know, we always try to. You know, you're a tough guy to impress. You know, no, 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 no. I there there are certain things that I really like there, and I'm looking forward to getting perfect. To okay, good. And also, Chris and I went to horse last night with our friend Raven and I got the uh, the Cornish hen uh, just to kind of honor you and it was it was very delicious it's really good is that place still packed? popping 10 times more than it was when we went yeah bonafide hot spot like the hottest restaurant in LA probably maybe America wow Jason big talk bro mm. I'm glad we got it first I hate the smell. 